Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. This episode of Michigan Minds is part of a special series from University of Michigan Public Engagement and Impact in collaboration with the Office of the Vice President for Research to discuss firearm injury prevention. I am happy to be joined today by U of M faculty member, Dr. Lisa Wexler. Dr. Wexler, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about your role at U of M? Sure. So my name is Lisa Wexler, and um, I am a professor in the School of Social Work and also a research professor in the ISR Research Center for Group Dynamics. And in what areas does your research focus? So I've worked for decades now working with marginalized indigenous communities in rural and remote Alaska and across the circumpolar north, mostly focused on suicide prevention and resilience. What led you to conduct that type of research? Good question. I actually followed my husband up to Northwest Alaska um, and started working as a social worker in that region and had had it until that time very few experiences with suicide crisis intervention, a little bit of training, not much, but I was um, really struck by the number of calls I was getting to respond to suicide and the sort of lack of choices that I had at the time. Um, You know, when there's a crisis, there's a really limited window of the kinds of things that you can make decisions about as a clinician. And so that was really um, frustrating to me and to the folks that I was working with um, and led to a lot of questioning, led to a dissertation, working with community members to try and figure out better ways of preventing suicide and working more upstream. So before there's a crisis, there's a lot of creative ways that we can begin to partner with families, partner with community leaders, figure out how to reduce suicide risk. And so that path has led me many, many, many years later to the project that I think we're going to talk about today. Yes, and that would be the uh, Family Safety Net Research Project, which received funding from the National Institute of Mental Health and from the U of M Injury Prevention Center. So can you provide an overview of that project? Sure. So that project, again, came from partnership with um, Alaska Native communities, particularly Inupiaq communities that I've worked with for a really long time. And we started to really think about how our screening processes in our primary care facilities were missing a lot of people. Um, And when I say our, I mean the tribal health organization, Manilik, who I've worked with for, again, decades. Um, That was where I was a social worker. (laughs) So in the 90s. So we started to really think about how when we were doing screening using some of the typical screening tools that hospitals all over use, the PHQ-2 or 9, we were only really screening for about 2% were screening positive. And that's for a number of reasons, but one of the things that we weren't really able to tap into is we weren't able to sort of identify near-term risk. And that's not Um, unusual, actually. It's really hard to figure out who in this 
group of people who is struggling, who maybe does have suicidal ideation, it's really hard to figure out which ones of those people are gonna go on to take suicidal action. And we were finding that one, we weren't able to even identify folks with our typical screening. Um, and then when we did identify them, they weren't always wanting or feeling like mental health services were the thing for them. So we really wanted to think upstream. We wanted to think about how we could engage family members and other folks who care about the people in their household um, in how we can make things safer. And so we started to talk to people. We started to think about um, the science of suicide prevention and the science of increasing safety in people's homes. Um, and the, the region that um, we're doing the project, almost every single household has multiple guns. I think on average, like five to six guns per household. And because it's a subsistence community. And we were finding that, that people had guns. A lot of the suicide deaths were by gun, almost half. And so we really started to think that, that lethal means restriction was a really good way of addressing that risk factor. And so, and we also thought that a way of doing that would be to try and engage adults in the household um, in storing their guns safely. So locked, unloaded with ammunition somewhere else um, in order to protect people against impulsive suicide, which is about half of the suicides nationally are considered impulsive. Why is it important to make that connection of suicide prevention and the, the safe firearm storage in homes? I mean, it's a, tr it's a tricky business. There have been other projects that have done suicide prevention interventions in hospitals or in emergency rooms or in pediatric primary care. And in all of those cases, um, there's been different um, prompts to sort of get people to think about it. So in those higher risk situations where a young person is coming in for a suicide attempt, working with their families to reduce suicide risk, that's kind of a natural next step should be happening just, just as a matter of course. It does not always um, because many times clinicians don't really ask about firearms. So that's a really important thing to do just in general. In pediatric care, you know, situations. That's also been done just as a universal prevention technique. What hasn't been done or what's new about this is we're trying to um, do this universally with folks that have children in their homes, even sometimes. So not necessarily primary caregivers and different aged kids. So in pediatric care, often those are younger kids. And what we're finding from preliminary data is that when, when folks have younger kids in the household, they are more clear about their intention to keep their firearms safe, to protect kids from um, unintended injuries. Um, when we start thinking and talking to people about older kids, especially in hunting communities, there's a lot of trust that, that kids will use firearms safely. And that's probably true when they're hunting. Um, it's the impulsive suicide, which is considered a very common suicide act precursor, or, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a common thing that happens, particularly with teens. So just having guns in the household increases suicide risk three times, it's estimated. So it's really, really important um, to be thinking on the preventative side and to just 
go for more safety rather than less safety, even if the young people in that household are trusted to be sort of responsible hunters, that still they might need sort of that extra thought time to not act impulsively with a gun. How did you conduct that work and, you know, gather this information and identify the necessity of the safe firearm storage for this particular project? Well, so this has been a long, a long discussion point. And we really, I mean, firearm research for me is really new and it really comes from the science basically that we can actually reduce suicide risk if we can make the means to suicidal action harder. And even if we can make it 15 minutes harder or half an hour harder, that can save lives. So we, we've been doing a lot of deep work. We've been doing a lot of community engaged mobilization around suicide prevention in a lot of different ways in the communities that I work that do have high suicide risk for young people. And this particular um, approach is if we had to do one thing and one thing only to save lives now, this is a really good bet. And so we started to just talk with community members about what that might look like, to work with service providers on what that might look like. And that's where we landed on the, the family safety net, where we would try and reach all households in regions that have guns and try and really encourage safe storage. There's no downside to that really. Um, and there's really so much potential gain. And you know, you know, we can reduce injuries, we can reduce fatalities for intentional and unintentional injuries with this kind of approach. And research has shown that if you provide resources and support to help people safely store their guns, that they're more likely to do it. And so that's that's what we're trying to do. So are there ways that this work that you've conducted in, you know, this this Alaskan Native community can be applied to other communities throughout the U.S.? Yeah, so I think there's a couple takeaways that we can be thinking about that relate to both firearms, but also the strengths that we see in different communities. So one of the things that has been really clear in our approach is it's a family focused approach. That's why it's called the family safety net. And it's really building on the strong Alaska Native family values, um, family structures, the way that people organize their lives are really related to the strong value of family, you know, first relationships as paramount. Um, so instead of thinking about each person or each patient that comes into an emergency room or into a hospital as an individual that's sort of autonomous doing their own thing and not attached to the myriad of relationships that really make life worth living, um, our Alaska Native partners have really asked us to shift our thinking. And so instead of thinking only about people as individuals, thinking about them as family and community members, people who are in reciprocal and important relationships with the people in their lives. And if we can build on and amplify those really good intentions, we can really do a lot of good work that is focused on health promotion and wellness and reducing risk of a lot of different sorts. So, so I think that's the real innovation of the work that we're trying to do is we're trying to really try and build on the family strengths of Alaska Native communities, not just looking at risks, um, and really trying to partner with families, partner with community members to reduce risk and increase safety.
And firearms really in this country are so ubiquitous, particularly in rural communities. And so if we can increase safe storage and do it in a way that uplifts the strengths of the communities that we're working with, that's a real win on a number of levels. So that's, that's how that happened. And we're approaching National Gun Violence Awareness Day, which is on June 4th. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit on how important you think suicide prevention is to this general, you know, gun violence, firearm injury prevention conversation. Yeah, so I think that's a really important thing to think about. When we think about gun violence, we don't often think about suicide. So if you look at gun deaths, more people are dying by suicide um, than any other thing. And so it really is an important thing to be thinking about. And it's one of the you know, few standalone things that we know works. We know if you can make it 15, half an hour, an hour harder to get a loaded gun when you have a suicidal impulse, you will not likely go on to make a suicidal action. And that is profound if you think about how much good can be done by reducing access to lethal means, particularly firearm lethal means, when people are in that moment of crisis. And so it just seems to me like that is sort of the center or a center that we should be focused on when we think about gun safety or gun violence prevention, you know, because gun violence can be directed towards others or self. And I think that or self part, especially when it's most of the suit and most of the deaths related to gun violence are suicide. It's, it's a really important piece. So, and we can do that in partnership with people. And, you know, speaking of the partnership, so at U of M, there's, you know, the presidential initiative focused on firearm injury prevention research. And there are so many experts from different areas across the university working toward this. Can you just briefly elaborate on the role of social work in, in this aspect? Yeah, so social work is involved in, you know, so many so if I want to focus on suicide or even prevention work, social work is a really nice intersection of thinking about the person in environment. And it, you know, when we're training people, I just did a suicide prevention class yesterday with a group of social workers and the kinds of questions that they're asking and the kinds of ways in which they might be embedded in the systems that could be a part of the solution are really important. So you know, social workers and law enforcement, that's a very timely conversation. How does that look? How will social workers be involved in that? How will they de-escalate situations that are more mental health than they are criminal related, right? So, you know, that's, that's a really critical moment for social workers to get involved and to be out front in that work. Um, when we think about hospital social workers, they're there too. And how can we engage social workers in really promoting, in my case, in the family um, safety net, how can we engage family members in making their homes safer um, for the people that live in them um, to reduce suicide risk, but also to reduce unintentional injuries. Social workers are in schools and there's a great need to be thinking about how we can partner with kids and families through schools. Um, so social workers in pretty much many, many, many social institutions, you know, they're involved in church work, they're involved in other kinds of faith-based 
um, interventions that really rely on community leaders to partner in how best to engage different communities in reducing gun violence. So I think having social workers at the table, having them be a part of thinking creatively with communities on how we can address this very specific but super ubiquitous <laughs> issue of gun violence in American, you know, 2021 life. So it's, I, I think social workers at the table thinking about context, thinking about meaning, thinking about communities and families and the values that they hold and how to work with them to reduce risk is really an important perspective. If all of our listeners take away, you know, one piece of information from what you've shared today, what would you want that to be? I think there's no downside to storing your guns safely. You know, we know that if we can make it more difficult for people to access guns when they're in a moment of crisis, we can reduce fatalities and injuries related to gun violence. And it, it, it's not easy to do that consistently. So it does take care and attention, particularly if you're utilizing your guns very often. And so I think just making that extra consistent caring move to protect the people in your life, that, that can make a big difference. Thank you so much, Dr. Wexler, for sharing all of this information with us today and for joining Michigan Minds for this special series. Listeners can learn more information at firearminjury.umich.edu. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.